Welcome to Brothers Red, the unique LFC podcast brought to you by five brothers who love Liverpool Football Club, but would frankly rather donate to a food bank than condone pay-per-view in Premier League football. After an intense week, Liverpool managed to get over the line at Anfield against an organised and spirited Sheffield United to secure a vital three points and move up to second place in the table on 13 points with their Merseyside rivals. It was an enjoyable weekend of Premier League football for the Reds, with their rivals either drawing or losing. And returning to Liverpool, this was the 62nd consecutive league game at Anfield without defeat, which I'm sure you'll agree is very impressive. I'm joined by a full complement of brothers, all insincerely promising not to talk about VAR. Matt, turning to the match itself, it was... Comforting and soothing, wasn't it, to get back to winning ways in the Premier League? But it absolutely was a hard-fought victory, wasn't it? Liverpool went behind to a contentious penalty decision, Matt, and never really looked comfortable in a performance which lacked fluency, I would say, but had sprinkles of virtuosity about it. Absolutely. I mean, just to come back, I mean, that home record is is, is unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, that that 62-game home record. But talking about yesterday, I was I was kind of so pleased that we showed that grind-out kind of results ability again this season. I mean, after 15 seconds, that, that kind of 50-50 shoulder barge between Brewster and Gomez, kind of kind of that Titanic battle between them, them two kind of emphasised emphasised what, what kind of tough game the game it was going to be. And Gomez just about won the battle as well, which is kind of sy- symbolic for the for the results of well, as well, a 2-1 win. Um, what, what I do feel is I do feel like we need several of these performances again this season and wins to be able to retain the title. But what I would say is it was a really, really physical game and, and Sheffield United played played really well. That was kind of exemplified by the the kind of they won they won the most duels and also tack tackles as well. So so we had to really kind of we were really up against it. I think perhaps the difference was against Sadio Mane. We we talk about him every single single week, but he he was again brilliant setting up Jota for that winning goal. I've got to, I've got to pay credit to Gomez as well. Gomez played played really really well. His passing accuracy and his clearances and his defending was 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 really really good. It kind of again it kind of got me thinking though that although we didn't play play so well, it was it you know why why was that? I mean why was there a slight drop in the performance? Well, I think I think in one way it was pretty obvious because we we're playing Ajax away from home in, in midweek, so it's always so so difficult to put in uh, a brilliant performance after them Champions League games. The the other reason was there was a slight tweak of the formation, which I think really kind of hampered us in that in that first half. You know, it was basically a four two three one type formation, although there was a slight variation of of that as well. I think the other one of the other reasons was that the 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 press was ineffective as well in in this game, and, and we were kind of struggling to win second balls. And as I've already said as well, Sheffield, Sheffield United played really, really, really well, didn't they, James? Yeah, Sheffield United, rather, with their performance, belied their position in the table. But it was a performance of champions. That's what you have to do. I mean, how many times last season, Fran, did we just grind out a one-goal victory, whether it was 2-1 or 1-0? Um, but I want to ask you, Fran, about the lineup itself. It was quite an exciting lineup, wasn't it? You know, when you... He sort of gets to 6.59 and you're waiting for the team news to come out. And you can't really imagine Messrs Basham, Egan and Stevens would have been particularly relishing facing a surprise front four of Mane, Mo, Bobby and Jota. But 
to my mind, the lineup didn't really work in terms of the midfield and the attack. I'm not saying it was a spectacular failure or anything, Fran, but it unbalanced the so-called war machine and the midfield duo Henderson and Genie weren't really able to control the game, were they? James, the performance was, as you said, hard fought and dogged um, rather than slick and, and stylish as the rare formation of 4-2-3-1 formation with Jota on the right, Mane left, Bobby Central, Salah leading the line. So it was quite exciting, wasn't it? I thought Liverpool started off really well uh, with early opportunities from Mane when Robbo played a long ball down the line. Mane got, got onto it and then uh, Ramsdale came out flying out. Mane squares the ball for Salah, but John Egan gets back and intercepts the pass. Also, Liverpool had a free kick early on from Trent catching Ramsdale off his line and he has to sort of pedal back, stretch and tip the ball over the, the crossbar. So there was early signs from Liverpool that you know we started the game well and we had we had the right mentality going in. Obviously, the the penalty came about after ten minutes. You know it was a bit of a shock. I think we all sort of thought that was a bit of damage and um, knocked our momentum. Sheffield had the tails up, um, and as the match went on, I think we we all were a little bit concerned about the lack of second balls we were picking up, um, the inability and to link the defence and the attack together. I think we lacked a lot of pressure on the, you know, on the ball. As Matt said, and just to echo what he said before, about Sheffield won the most duels and the aerial duels of 60.7% to 39.3%. So I felt Liverpool were a little bit pedestrian in the first half. And I felt like it was calling out for someone like Thiago to come on. Well, give me some kind of scintilla of hope that he could, you know, turn the screw a little bit. But I think, you know, going back to the formation, that possibly had an influence on having Winnie and Henderson in the midfield. We just didn't quite have enough to to do all the things that we usually do with the free in midfield. It just felt like we were a little bit pedestrian-like. Yeah, Fran, I think, just going back to, I think you made the point and Matt did as well. In the first half, we did look a bit disjointed. I think that partly can be explained from the fact that, unless I can be corrected on this, was this not Jota's first game with the front three? So yeah. I don't know whether the problem was that the players weren't used to each other's styles, so the movement wasn't, as Fran said, quite as, not as slick as stylish. And I think that's something maybe that will need a bit of time to perfect. I don't know whether that disorder and disjointed nature of the the midfield and attack was partly because of that new formation of players because we saw that, didn't we, James, a bit in midweek against Ajax where we had a new, newly formed midfield and it took a bit of time for them to gel together. So I don't know whether, again, that perhaps was just a sign on uh, yesterday that this this crop of players need, needs further games to sort of master their positions. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a sense, Sandy, that Klopp wanted to drop a bit of a surprise, throw Chris Wilder a bit of a googly in his lineup, and I I feel as though the experiment in this match didn't work. But I don't think it's something that should be cast aside for the rest of the season. I think it's probably going to take some time to get that system working efficiently, so that they can maintain that balance between 
doing the job of the midfield, but also then making sure that the four of them are in separate offensive positions so as to maximise potentially what uh, an extra man as they flood forward. I mean, Paddy, the formation itself did look like some sort of a sort of 4-2-3-1. And Liverpool haven't really played that sort of formation, I don't think, for some time. I mean, maybe Shakiri the end of 2018, when he was playing, seemed to be involved in a similar formation. But unless it's very finely tuned, in the early stages at least, when it when it's perhaps a little bit new and experimental, you really do need quite a passive team in order to, to make sure that you can still dominate the, the game. Because Sheffield United in the sort of first 10 minutes didn't quite look as kind of assertive as they were later in the match and Liverpool looked decent. But it was a game where the formation excelled in spells and short spells, but not really throughout the match. And as Fran said, it looks like we, we lost something in the midfield, which was quite ponderous. Paddy, let's take a look at the match statistics, if you'd be so kind. I mean... We've touched upon it. It looked like an evenish contest on the eye, but Liverpool were in the ascendancy overall. Is that fair? Yeah, fair comment. I think we won the game on on most metrics. Obviously, uh, two one in the end, and the xG kind of backs that up. It finished two point four to one point four on the xG. And I think you're right. The first half was tough for Liverpool. That goal did rock us a little bit. And if you look at the time of the xG. Um, Liverpool were mostly behind for the full first half, really, up until the 40th minute. Sheffield United created a couple of chances, um, maybe could have even went 2-0 up. And the XG in the first half was 1.3 to 1, so it was pretty tight. We, we did have a little spell towards the end of the first half where we come back into it. And then maybe there were some tweaks at half-time. The XG for just the second half was 1.1 to 0.3, so yeah, much improved in the second half. Um, Liverpool seemed to get chances in in 10 minute spells so we had one at the end of this this first half we had one um, when we got the second goal around about the 60th minute mark the last spell was when we got that goal we looked like getting a third as well at the end so yeah it's all all good on the XG in that second half and most of the other stats seem to suggest Liverpool were were come out on top they dominated possession 62% 62% to 38. They created more chances. And Liverpool had 17 shots to Sheffield, 13. And we had five of those shots on target against the two. And we also had more corners, seven to three for Liverpool. Um, in terms of the PPDA, um, so for anyone who doesn't know what the PPDA is, it um, passes per defensive action in the opponent's half. And so Liverpool usually get around about eight or nine for the PPDA. And that's basically just saying that Liverpool um, will break up possession of Sheffield United's within eight or nine passes. Um, so it was actually higher this week, um, which I guess is is bad. Um, we got, uh, it was 14 to Liverpool and nearly 20 for Sheffield United. So there's a couple of reasons, I think, why the pressing wasn't as, as strong Sheffield United do play in a unique way. They've got good centre-halves who um, get involved in the attacks and often play as wingers. They also um, play the ball through midfield quite quickly. Um, a lot of the passes are forward and they kind of miss miss the press. 15% of the passes was actually in their own defensive third. So Liverpool didn't really get an opportunity to press. 
And also, I, I don't think maybe with the new formation, maybe it was a tactical thing from Liverpool in the first half. They were not pressing uh, efficiently. The front three, sorry, the front four only made two tackles and no interceptions, which is which is way down on, on other weeks. So maybe um, that was one of the tweaks they made at half-time, was just to shore up that press. Liverpool conceded 11 shots from open play, which was only bettered by the Villa um, game. I think they had 15 in that game. So that just I think that's just indicating that, that Liverpool were quite open in midfield. And Sheffield United, on a different day, they might have had three deflections. Perhaps they targeted um, Gomez. Their attacks seem to shift this week. So normally a lot of teams play down our right um, where Gomez and Trent are. This week, Sheffield United, the majority of their play come down our left, which I don't think it's much of a coincidence, to be honest, that now Van Dijk's out of the team and Gomez is the left centre-back, that they were playing a lot of direct balls to Matt Burney and, and kind of targeted um, that position. So... Maybe for another team like like West Ham coming up next weekend, um, who play a lot of direct balls. I think Mourinho called um, one of the midfielders the new Fellaini. Um, we may want some more height at the back um, for next week. Maybe if, if Joel's back, um, put him into the team. Maybe a Joel and Fab or maybe just keep Gomez in, but I make sure we've got some tall midfielders around. Paddy, just to come back on one of the stats I think I heard. Is it correct that yesterday Sheffield United um, centre-backs were pushing forward quite a lot? I think it's an, an interesting feature, isn't it? I think it was a distinct feature in Sheffield United's team last year. And I think they ought to be applauded for that because sometimes you get teams who come up and they play the low block and they, they want to be defensive in order to try and snuff out the, the opposition team. But Sheffield United do have that bravery, don't they? They have that adventurous nature I think it's just refreshing to see a team come up and be expansive and not just hold back and it's an interesting tactic because I know Liverpool play with the fullbacks flying forward but but it's just interesting that Sheffield United like to play that that risky football of allowing the centre-backs to to advance forward they play a a 3-5-2 and the centre-halves join as as full-backs um, so what they do is they have five in the middle and the two wide midfielders play very much like wingers, not like fullbacks. So they're really high up the pitch and then the centre halves join on the wings in those attacks. So the overload in the wing position, which is which is mad. So you see, I don't know if you've seen the, the heat map of the centre halves, but it's all over the pitch. And so what they do is the centre halves join the attack on the wing. And so then they make runs off the ball, either joining in the box, and it, it's either them or the winger. They play a lot of cutbacks and try and get some extra bodies in midfield. And so what that means defensively is they often only have one centre-back, but, but the midfield mostly is really um, disciplined. They never leave that, that area, and they often form a two at the back or three at the back, and the, if one centre-half's gone, the other one stays. they draw drawn an appeal. like People like watching them, and it's, it's very similar to Leeds this year. They, they're doing things a bit differently, and um, it, it's entertaining to, to watch. And um, Yeah, they're, they're a good side. They were five points off the European places last season, um, and this season they haven't started as well because they're lacking a bit of firepower. But if you look at the, all the XG of each game, they're all really competitive and, and quite close games. And I think their form will pick up. I think, yeah, I think there's a couple of points I want to make. I think when I was watching the game, I just got I got a sense that the Sheffield United side of the team were much bigger than us, really, like in terms of height. 
And I think that showed they were much more of a physical side. I I, I disagree watching the game. I, I think Sheffield United, yeah, they, they did create a few chances, but they were still playing very defensive and they were playing playing low block. And I think what you've got to, got to remember about Sheffield United this season as well, they've lost five out of six games in the Premier League. They've only got one point. So I, I still think from our point of view, if we would have got um, a few more goals, I think you know, I think that would have been much better. Really, they're a good team, and they, they haven't they haven't played well. But you know, yeah, we we should be we should be thumping them more because we're you know we're one of the best teams in, in the world. So so yeah, yeah, I expect us to win still and still win comfortably. But I think um, you've got to applaud the way they play. I think in this Premier League season, boys, there's no such thing as form. There's only match, and you have to win. Each game on its individual merits doesn't matter where the team is in the league. Sheffield United are at the bottom of the league, but they didn't play like a team who was struggling. They were actually competitive for most of the match, and they just want to get back into the match. Thanks for the the stats, Paddy. That's very interesting and illuminating as always. In many ways, it's been somewhat Andrew of an ill-starred season for the Reds in terms of officialdom. They were again the victims of a very dubious penalty decision when Fabinho who I have to accept after getting a bit excited about his performance in midweek wasn't quite as imperious was a judge to have fouled uh, McBurney a bit of a heading machine so I just wondered what you made of it all yeah I couldn't believe it again it was an absurd decision to give a penalty to me it was as clear as day Fabinho got the ball. I just couldn't understand it. And Fran made a good point to me. Why didn't Mike Dean just waddle over to the monitor and have another look? Because had he done so, he would have been able to see the error that he made. And I just don't understand, James. I made the same point last week. That option is there for the referees and they're not utilising it. And it's just, what it's doing is just allowing the VAR officials to make an arbitrary decision on, on, on an incident. So it's just, it's crazy. But... What I do think as well, James, is that I think we were a bit fortunate, weren't we, with two other incidents in the game. I think Jota may have clipped, it was a clumsy clip, um, one of um, Sheffield United's players in the box. And I think Robbo was playing basketball on one of the, um, I think the ball just grazed against his hand. So I think on balance, there probably ought to have been one penalty given. But it's just frustrating, isn't it, that we keep seeing now as a familiar trend and a familiar feature of games, these um, horrendous decisions from VAR, it's becoming inexcusable. Now, VAR are given the time, the angles, the replays, and yet they still come up with these decisions, which I think on any view are just strange. I think as well, James, I don't know if you agree with this, rugby union has it, and I think the cricket has it, but you're able to gain in those sports an insight as to what, discussions are taking place with the officials because you can hear the the rationale and why they're or what the thought process is I don't know why that isn't deployed in football because it would give fans a an invaluable insight we'd have some idea as to what's going on instead we're left with this chaos after the game where we're all saying well how can someone make this decision how can someone possibly say that that was a penalty it just it feels that these VAR decisions are coming up more and more often. And it's just, I think there just needs to be some accountability. There has to be some transparency because every match can't be dominated by VAR discussion. 
And we're not going to discuss VAR at any length in this podcast because ultimately we've won the match and we don't have one of our top players uh, out for the season like we did last week. But Fran, just coming to you for a second, that was it was quite quite a nervy match, wasn't it? L- Liverpool got themselves into that position, unfortunately, where they were 1-0 down. And then, as you were saying earlier, they, they kind of struggled to get going in that first half. It was just really key that we got that equaliser before half-time because even in the second half, Fran, there was times when Sheffield United were looking dangerous and it there was no guarantee of walking away with three points from that match. So it's one of those, isn't it, where you just have to say three points in the bag, happy days, let's move on to the next match. Yeah, I agree, James. I think Matt mentioned it before. Probably throughout the season, you might have six or seven of those games where you've got to put in a performance, you've got to keep focused and be resilient in terms of getting the result. I think that's what a performance, what Liverpool done really well. Sheffield United, as we've mentioned, are at the bo- near the bottom of the table, but they played really well. They're, they're a difficult team to play. I think sometimes you have to look at the performance and say, that was a good result for Liverpool because we changed the formation and at times it worked and we did look a good team going forward with that formation, but it's not our usual formation, so we're adapting. And it was a bit of a curveball, wasn't it, to say, well, let's give Sheffield United something else to think about because when you saw that line-up, you kind of thought to yourself, they're playing the four of them. If we're in a position where we've got an opportunity, or don't worry, Salah will get it. If Salah doesn't get it, Mane will get it. If Mane doesn't get it, Firmino will get it. And if Firmino doesn't get it, Salah, Mane and Firmino will get it. But now we've got Jota to add into the mix. Well, it's another string to our bow, isn't it? And I just felt yesterday's performance was all about, you know, getting through the the dogged, tough stages of the game and and getting the three points. And we've got to stay positive on that. It was three points and it was well earned. Poor Div is on the the scrap heap at the moment. But going back, Fran, to what you were saying, I I think sometimes the problem is you, you, you watch a single match and then you start to draw very firm conclusions and you can't really do that about the front four as it was. But as I've already said, I think, uh, and as Andy's um, also reinforced, it, that it looked a bit disjointed. But Fran, do you think Bobby Firmino is going to lose his place at some point this season to Diego Jota? Do you think that's sort of a bit of a, a premature sort of prediction to make? Or do you think Bobby's place is in serious threat? And, and if so, is Jota going to be able to come in and replace him? Or is it going to be too much to jig it all around? I think, first of all, Jota's come into the team. He scored yesterday. He's come on and looked very lively. He's one for the future. He's only 23. You know, he's going to have to bed into Liverpool's philosophy and the way we play. And he's learning all the time. I think he's going to be a good player. But on the other side, you can't... Bobby's such a big player for Liverpool. I think yesterday, for example, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong... He had 97% pass success in the game. He's the nexus in, in the Liverpool team. He connects everything. He's so important for us. And I don't know what you guys think, but I don't mind if he's not always scoring the goals. He scored yesterday. But as long as he's putting the performance in 
and working as hard as he does. And I think the reason why we could play that formation yesterday is because we had Bobby in the side. Now, I know he took a little bit of criticism um, in terms of his recent form, but I still think Bobby's a, a massive player for Liverpool. We're just looking at his stats as you were talking there, and um, a lot of the things that Bobby does is hard to measure, so he'll never show up and, and flag as a, you know, one of the top players and, and a lot of the metrics for forwards. Um, but one of the things he does do is key passes. This key passes metric is uh, passes that lead to shots. So I was just looking at his, his last couple of games, and um, against Chelsea, he did three key passes. Against Arsenal 2, Villa 2, Everton 2. He didn't do any yesterday, but he did score. So even just from that, he is contributing. You know, it's, it's hard to measure what, what he does. I think the best measure is just when he's not in the team, you, you do notice a difference. Yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think Klopp is going to favour a front four in, in too many games this season, particularly in the bigger games. And if Jota continues to play well, I mean, he's scored... Uh, in his first two consecutive games, then it might create a problem. I think the the problem with the Firmino debate is it's almost like what happened yesterday with adding an extra attacker and taking something away from the midfield. You, there's that sense with Bobby that you don't really know what you what what you've got until he's not in the team. Which, as you were saying, Paddy, it's that that sort of it's like genie in a way. You know, in the last couple of seasons where. You look at his stats and you think, well, it's not really very much that, you know, that he does demonstrably well, metric-wise. But then when he's not in the team, you miss him. And I think that's the thing with Bobby. That's why Klopp loves him so much. He provides balance and equilibrium. Um, but I do think it's something to keep an eye on because Jota's looking very promising indeed. And um, I think certainly Salah or Mane... In, in my opinion, could play through the centre if you had one of the other two on each side. But, um, Matt, I know that it was a tight game and Liverpool sort of s- scraped the victory, if that's not the wrong phrase to use, but there's quite a lot of positives to take from the game. Uh, I'll just give you a quick whistle-stop tour of, of my notes. First of all, the return of Ali, which is massive, and certainly no weeping or gnashing of teeth that Adrian was on the subs bench. Secondly, as we've just discussed with Fran, Bobby scores. Before that, he'd only scored two in 26 games. Thirdly, again, as we've discussed, Jota again comes into the team and shows his his value. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a much of a transition period with him. And finally, uh, it's another good, solid, competent performance from Joe Gomez. Absolutely. Uh, there's lots of positive. It was great to see Ali back, obviously. Um, he made a few decent saves, didn't he? I know quite in the mid-first half, I know Osborne had that kind of volley, volley in the box, which he managed to save. He was he was very, he was commanding in the air as well. He did, did some good punches. But what I want to pick, pick on most about Ali is his distribution. Like if you look at his his pass completion for a goalkeeper, it's it's seventy two percent, which is which is really high. You, you compare that to Adrian, he probably averages a forty of forty to fifty percent. So it it makes a big big difference when your when your goalkeeper is 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 keeping the ball. Uh, Jota Jota was certainly a positive because he got his goal was a quality header. We we all know his strengths. We know that he can take the ball. We know that he can dribble. We know that he can create things. He's still only young. But I still feel that 
Jota is still relatively junior in his in his, in, in the Liverpool way, really, and it's going to take time for him to be integrated integrated into the into the Liverpool way. And how is that going to happen, or or how is that going to change? Well, his pressing is going to be much better. Uh, he's probably going to be better defensively as well, and. I don't know if you noticed towards the end of the game on about 78 minutes he was he was he was shot <laughs> um, and perhaps in that in that game tactically perhaps Milner could have come on a bit earlier um, but I think there's some there's some positive things with with Jota um, yeah and you're right about the Gomez Gomez is Gomez is a real real positive as well I think I think he's much better isn't he as that left centre half. You can see actually that his his stats were kind of amazing yesterday. Were they again ninety four percent pass pass completion, eight clearances, six aerial duels, one. Yeah, I thought um, Fabinho was stable yesterday. Matt wasn't he in defence. I thought he played okay, but I shouldn't miss an opportunity to criticise James to some extent because <laughs> in midweek he was saying that Fabinho was the next Van Dyke. Um, I did I did warn him at the time. I said he needs to temper his excitement. And perhaps his optimism was a bit uh, premature. <laughs> and we found that, didn't we, James, for the penalty where Fabino sticks his leg out, similar to what he usually does in the midfield. But he needs to learn, doesn't he, that those types of momentary misjudgments can be fatal in the final third. And he needs to perhaps you know, utilise the Van Dyke blueprint of staying on his feet. So, yeah, James, I think we just need to be cautious with your predictions in the future. Because we all know you like to get a bit a bit excited. <laughs> I think he's a different style of defender to Van Dijk. If you're going to draw, draw those comparisons, I think we've seen yesterday that Gomez was actually sweeping and I think usually that's what Van Dijk does. So he's playing a bit, he's played a bit deeper because of his pace. I think that's the one flag with Fabinho is is his pace. We've seen in that um, Gomez is actually a bit deeper now. Yeah, he's got time though, Paddy. Fabinho has needs to f- sort of finesse um, and mould his defensive discipline. We're talking what he's had two or three games now at centre-back. So in fairness to James, what we're going to see probably is hopefully his performance is growing and he's going to have that time now, isn't he, to try and form some sort of partnership with with Gomez moving forward. Yeah, getting the man in a match was a big was a big thing for him. And uh, yeah, just just kick on from there, I guess. Yeah, I, I think one of, the, one of the peculiar challenges about playing Sheffield United is you've got McBurney up front. And he, like I said earlier, he's a head heading machine. He's, I think he won fourteen aerial duels during the match. So that he needs probably to pull his present... socks up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Um, I mean, he can't shoot, but uh, he can certainly head the ball, uh, albeit in in a random direction. In all seriousness, I think um, I think it's probably a different challenge for Fabinho. And he, do you remember as well? He did get a bit skinned, didn't he, on the byline in the second half and. Um, I think it's probably just learning the position. Um, difficult to criticise for the penalty when it went, you know, it looked to me like a clean tackle. Um, so it's a bit unfortunate there. But boys, three points in the bag. Uh, we're up to joint first or second uh, on goal difference to Everton, who uh, sadly lost today at uh, St Mary's. <laughs> so that's now... Now 13 points from six games, so it's looking a little bit better than it was last week. Um, guys, I just wanted to just have a, a, a discussion on a, on a topical issue at the moment. Um, we all 
we all watched via various means the the match yesterday. But it was on Sky Sports as the first Liverpool pay-per-view event. Uh, as you know, the Premier League's agreed with the broadcasters to levy a, a £15 charge for these matches. The move has been, I think, by by most football fans, roundly condemned. You know, Liverpool fans often take a lead on these issues because we've got such a strong supporter base. There was a mass boycott of the, the match and uh, instead there was this remarkable reaction with the notional cost of the match being donated to food banks and uh, apparently they've, Liverpool fans alone have raised over £100,000 which is just uh, an incredible and remarkable achievement. But it's an important issue this for fans, isn't it, Andrew? And it has to be a retrograde step, doesn't it, to bring this in? Yeah, James. I think it's a. To be honest, just I was taken back by the to the audacity of of these big companies seeking to charge fans a, an additional supplement to what probably most fans will already have some sort of subscription. But it's, yeah, it's just really the brass neck that they have to try and charge fans more. These big organisations, the built aren't they for profit for success? So they they tend to discount the enjoyment of football. And the access, uh, the accessibility of football, and I was just trying to think. Well, what do I ordinarily pay in terms of box office for? I was thinking. Well, on the odd occasion, you'll you'll pay for a big boxing fight. Or looking back further, Paddy, I think you'll maybe remember this. But did we used to buy the wrestling at WWF? James and Matt can't participate in this conversation because they were watching wrestling in the nineteen seventies with. Hulk Hogan, <laughs> Hulk Hogan et, et al. Uh, but I'm sure we paid for some of the big big events. And those one-off occasions, you can just say, well, perhaps we can um, you know, foot the bill, it's worth it. But this creeping pattern now that seems to be just getting into football is this. These things grow, don't they? They start, well, it's a one-off, and then it becomes an increasing feature. Um, so that, that would be my concern that, James, this almost two-tier system is created in football. So you get those who can afford to pay that £15, it doesn't really affect them. But upon the other hand, you've got those football fans who who are not able to splash £15 on a game. To me, if you were going to put some sort of fee, it'd be much more proportionate and sensible to have, let's say, a £4.95 or £5 fee. It just seems to me to be extortionate to charge fans £15. And we know, don't we, the, it's it's in football's DNA. Historically, it's always been a sport that's accessible to the mass. And I just think this pattern emerging is going to go against that fundamental feature of football. We can see now, can't we, the games, this trend towards you know, big football teams making money. So you've got, before the game, you've got the bands on, around Anfield and you can even as Matt will know firsthand from buying um, pizzas at half time at the game is this just when have I, when just, have I, just, when have I ever bought a pizza it's past yeah. this isn't it it was a Holland's it, it was Holland's meat and potato pie <laughs> half, half a one and half a Guinness the basic point James that I was disappointed by the, the decision and I hope that as Liverpool fans have taken this stance now that we see that filter through to other fo- other football clubs and we can take a stand because football is for the masses and it, it's not for these you know, rapacious um, companies to try and you know, drain all the money that they, that they can from football fans. 
I mean, Fran, it's it, it just there's just certain things that happen in the footballing world that just offend, you know, fan sensibilities, understandably. And this is just one of them. Football fans are being fleeced now, aren't they? In a time where there's this, you know, we're in a we're in a sort of COVID lockdown here in in Merseyside. There's massive economic pressures on families and businesses. You know, paying fans can't get to the match anyway. It's it's just one step too far. It's a short-sighted cupidity of, of football, James. Fans are being treated like cash cows. It leaves loyal fans in a situation and a tough decision to pay £15 on top of the usual subscription. I find it really frustrating and very, and very disappointing. You, you've already got the dispute between the government and the rest of the football pyramid in terms of responsibility to help and shave, shave off the, the financial disaster of what's going on. And then you've got greedy, greedy people within football charging more money on top. £15, as Andy rightly said earlier, it's a lot of money to pay. You've got to remember as well, you've got to appreciate two other factors here. First one being, we've had six months where we've had every, we've had the games for free and they've been available for, for everyone to watch. So it's very difficult once you're, getting, once you're getting the games for free to suddenly have to pay a large amount of money. And secondly to that, once this money does come in on a few games and they're trialling it at the moment, I don't know how many games. I think for Liverpool till November, I don't think we're actually, there's another game that we're getting charged £15 for. But if this works and the money starts coming in, then it's only going to keep going, isn't it? Because once you get the money, you don't want to lose the money coming in. So yeah, I'm totally against it. And um, I think it was what you said before about the... Liverpool's fa- Liverpool fans donating the money was a great example and, and, and shows what a, a true Liverpool fan is. Yeah, Matt, it's difficult, isn't it? Because on, on the one hand, you have to accept that football is, in many ways, no longer the beautiful game for men and women because it's been taken over, or it's been overrun by rampant capitalism. But there still has to be some controls that are exercised on the expenses associated with with watching the game otherwise as Fran and Andy have said passionately you know rank and file fans you know the kind of the heartbeat of 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 clubs like Liverpool are just pushed out but the the problem about this Matt is it's a bit of a rocky road isn't it I mean maybe if as I say if it was a fiver or the, the you know the cost of a pint then you could kind of understand that you could swallow that a bit more but 15 pounds it's a lot of money, and as Fran says, if, if there wasn't a strong reaction to this, you'd, you'd imagine that it would just become part and parcel of the game. And who's to say then the subscription, the amount of games, sorry, on the prescription, uh, sorry, on the subscription for Sky is not reduced so that you're getting less and less games and more games are becoming pay per view, and everyone just accepts like the cost of everything going up, that it's just something that you have to pay and it becomes normalised, like you know, 100 quid for a for a football kit. Mm, that's it. I mean, we've all kind of seen the Premier League just grow, grow and grow and, and we're pretty much bought into the Premier League now and it really isn't surprising that, that something like this is, this, this is coming. And yeah, I agree, it is greed and I agree it's not for, certainly for, for certain families as well who, you know, who would struggle to afford it really. But, 
All I would say is that a lot of the fans are what well, you know. A lot of the fans are not are not paying the money in terms of you know you know to get into the games. So obviously they're saving hundreds hundreds of pounds pounds for that. Alternatively, other fans will will stream the games that are not live as well. You know, particularly the away games uh, that they can't get to. So it is an alternative, as you said. I think perhaps making it a bit. A lot cheaper, maybe maybe five pound would 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 be a bit more reasonable. It's um it's some it's something to keep an eye on, and I'm glad I'm gl- I'm I'm glad and proud that Liverpool fans have have taken the the lead on this issue, and and uh, uh, there was some discussion on Twitter today to suggest that the broadcasters Sky Sports and BT are not particularly happy with what the Premier League have introduced in these very, very these very difficult times. All right, cheers for that, boys. Nice to get your reaction to that. I just want to finish off the show by talking about the Champions League group stages again. We've got match day two against Mitterland, the, the Danish champions at Anfield on Tuesday. It's such a pity, isn't it? Um, Fran, that we're not in a in a position to welcome, uh, you know, the, these Danish supporters over to Liverpool and to Anfield, a packed Anfield, to to see their team in in a in a special and unique European atmosphere. Just brings it home, doesn't it, when when you get the European matches and and there's and there's no no crowds, but it's going to be a challenge for them, isn't it? Most definitely, um, I think yeah, it, to be a bit a European game, you know, it's intimidating, and Anfield's such a great place. And Matt and I'd be would be at the game on Tuesday, um, if the circumstances were different. But in terms for the for the match, yeah, it, it's going to have some kind of impact on the game. It'll be less intimidating for them to come down and play in a in an empty stadium. But Liverpool, after the good result against Ajax. Um, should have the tails up and look to put in a good performance. I mean, they've they've had a lot of success of late, and they adopt a sort of money ball type of policy. You know, perhaps that you know Michael Edwards might admire. They play, you know, to come back to formations and and the, the formation that Liverpool have just played. Actually, I understand a four two three one system, and like. Uh, Sheffield United are very are very dangerous at set pieces. So one of the problems that we've had without Van Dijk is obviously he's the best defensive header in the, in the league, I would say. But we miss him as well offensively, Matt, don't we? And um, it's going to be one of those games where we could we could turn out comfortable winners. I mean, they were beaten roundly uh, by Atalanta in in the in the first round of matches last week. But we've just got to be on our toes, haven't we, and make sure that we're professional. And we give a give a good account of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think to be fair, them losing four 0 at home to Atlanta will will knock the confidence a little bit because it's the first time you know since they've been winning the, the Danish league that they're actually in the Champions League. So, so as long as we're professional, as long as we play our normal game, I think that we we should uh, we should beat them. I think the actual lineup's going to be interesting as well, isn't it? Because we'll be thinking about the West Ham game as well. Will he start with the front three? Or can can Klopp afford to maybe add Minamino in there? Because we know Minamino's a good Champions League player. Um, he could potentially add, add Shaq in. Um, Jota might play. So I don't know. It'll be. I think one of the interesting things for me is is is, is the lineup really. But really, really, we should we should beat them. 
pretty comfortably, shouldn't we? I, I, we're, we're, we're massive favourites. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, uh, coming to you, Andy and Pad, whether Jota, Shaq and Taki might actually start the game. Because you can always have Mo, Mane and Bobby on the bench, can't you, and bring them on in the unlikely event that you're struggling. Yeah, James, I think this is the whole point, isn't it, of having a big squad so you can rotate the players in quick succession. It Actually, in my view, what was demonstrated against, was it, it may have been Ajax, where these, the front three were replaced by Jota, Shaq and Minamino. And they all came on and did a really good job. So that's to me, is a sign that you know, going forward, you can trust those players. And as Matt said, it's probably probably an ideal game for them to come in. It's a Champions League game, but it may be one where we get a few goals. So it's always good to increase their confidence. But Pad, you wouldn't expect Liverpool with a, with a, a proper midfield three to be markedly weakened or to be weak with, with those, uh, those three the sort of backup offensive players starting the match. You'd still fancy us to 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 win the game, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I think there's a big gulf between us and, and Michelin, to, to be honest, without, you know, taking them apart. Just last year they got knocked out by Rangers um in Europa League qualifying, beating home and away by two goals. So I, I don't think Gerard was playing, but <laughs> our, our our second team is 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 a lot better than that Rangers team, aren't they? Isn't it? So in terms of quality, you've got established Champions League players. So I'd be pretty confident having um, a second string front three, knowing that it's not about taking them lightly. It's just there's there's a quality gap there. I think it's it been it's important to get the three points. Having six points in the group, you know, you're always, you're looking at. 10 points to qualify, aren't you? Um, so beat them home and away, it's nine points and you've got potential of, of resting players um, later on when we get to a bit of a, bit more of a crunch as the season progresses and towards towards the winter. You can argue it both ways, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll be goal fest. It'll be interesting to the team. Yeah, hopefully we've got a couple of lads back. Nice to see Shakiri and, and Thiago get some minutes. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether Thiago's fit, Matt, but... Um... What about predictions then, boys? Can you just get some predictions for for Champions League match day two, Matt? Coming to you first. I'm gonna go for. Uh, I'm gonna go for three nil. Fran four four nil. Pad going in descending age order. I'll go four one. Um, f- five goals for the number of Carlsbergs uh, I'm gonna have. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, uh, I'm not as optimistic um, as Paddy is. I'm gonna go for conservative two nil. Two nil. I'm not sure about I'm not sure about this one. I think I'm just going to say that I think we can win as comprehensively as Ajax did on the weekend against the the domestic rivals. Nice, um, 0 <laughs> unbelievable that wasn't it? Um, yeah, um, unbelievable result, wasn't it, gentlemen? Thank you very much for joining me this evening to uh, discuss another Premier League victory. Hopefully. This is going to, to be the first of a run of consecutive victories and we march on in the Champions League, hopefully getting uh, maximum points uh, in the group stages until we, we play a, a trickier opponent. We will see you on the podcast on Tuesday evening after the Michelin game. In the meantime, check us out on our Twitter page at Brothers Red 5 And uh, thanks for joining us. And... Uh, up the reds you've been listening to brothers red an lfc fan podcast 
Your host was James Cullen. Contributors were Matthew, Francis, Patrick and Andrew Cullen. Music and production by Helen Lyon. The best word I can say when describe this was boom. <laughs> <laughs>